So most of you know my name's Eric Birch. I'm one of the uh, associate pastors. Uh, we have a plethora of associate pastors. Uh, <laughs> very blessed as a church. We have so many folks uh, that are called. It's, uh, it's great. As you know, we're doing a study of the Psalms. And, you know, really the Psalms is all about singing praise to God. Uh, but it's also about those sort of bumpy roads that we go on. Um, and today we're going to talk about Psalm 104. Now, Psalm 104 is sort of a poetic description of Genesis 1. Um, and so we're going to start off here. First point I want to make is that God creates. And we see that in Psalm 104, verses 5 through 8. And it says, He set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. You covered it with watery depths and with a garment. The waters stood over the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled, and at the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains and went down to the valleys to the place you assigned for them. So we see this, this beautiful description of how God created the world that we have from this formless void and put the oceans where they belonged and, and put the mountains where they belonged. And it continues on. In verse 19, we read, we read, He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to work, to their labor, until evening. So, Again, it continues to talk about the creation, how he created the, the, you know, the moon and the sun and the stars, the seasons, um, and all of that it gives us guidance as it goes along. I, I really enjoy the part about the lion's roar and seek out at night. So we have a cat uh, that sleeps all day and then at night goes out, you know, and then next, you know, in the morning shows up and goes back to bed. Um, he's on the graveyard shift, so to speak. The, uh, <laughs> but it's... I think about it, that's when he goes out there and, and does his thing, you know. And, um, but the kill part here is that God created everything and controls everything. Uh, there's nothing left to happenstance, right? There's no coincidence. Um, everything has a purpose and a logic, and there's precision in everything that he does. Um, God made this habitable world out of a formless void. Um, and he did so with clear design. He created animals and plants that all have a purpose in their creation. Um, and he knows everything that's going to happen. Um, I think it's really cool when you look at the fact that he built a creation that's capable of sensing change that's going to happen in its environment, and animals adapt to that change. God gave them the ability to efficiently and logically and change according to what's going on around them so that they continue to survive because God knew things were going to change. So it made sense that he would equip his creation with the ability to adjust. Um, we, you know, we look at oceans and we see windswept waves, uh, but the psalmist describes it here in verses 25 and 26. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small, there are ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. So again, we see the ocean as these, you know, windswept waves, but underneath are all these creatures of, of you know, all sorts of sizes and all sorts of difference. 
Um, and we talk, you see that, you know, the Leviathan, you know, which is, if you look at other descriptions in Scripture, it's some sort of, like, sea-swimming dinosaur uh, that was around. But it, it's frolicking in the waters. I mean, that's the whole word, frolic, right? Um, I think of our, our grandkids in the spa. That's frolicking. They, you know, our goal is to see how much water they can get out of the spa um, every visit. You know, it's, they frolic. They have a grand time. Um, so the second point I want to make is that God provides and sustains. Um, he provides for his creation. He feeds his animals throughout the world. There's no what to do next, right? So we read in Psalm 104, verses 27 and 28, all creatures look to you to give them their food at proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. So God provides for his animals, he provides for his creation, and he does it with goodness, with good things. Um, he takes care of it. Um, and man, the creation of man was his ultimate creation. You know, we bear the image of God himself. No other part of the creation is said to carry the image of God. We uniquely do so. Um, and he knit us together in our mother's womb. I, I, to me, that, that visual is amazing when you think of it. And the, um, especially nowadays with the, the, the ability of ultrasound, to see the detail as a child grows in the womb. And the idea that God is forming and knitting and deciding every piece of that. There's nothing co coincidental. Everything was done with purpose. Um, and all of us are uniquely created beings that, that God created and has purpose for. Um, he ordained the rising and the setting of the sun, right? He um, tells us the time to rise to work and the time to sleep, unless you have the graveyard shift, then you're kind of backwards. But the, uh, you know, and when you think about the time of the Psalms of an agrarian environment, that's when you got up. You got up when the sun got up, and you worked till the sun went down, because then it was dark, and you couldn't do anything. Um, and so the, um, he gave us that, 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 that cycle in our life, and he gave the moon to mark the seasons. It's amazing, when you look at the interaction between the sun and the moon, and how it created tides, and all those things that happened, none of that's a coincidence. God created all of that for purpose. Um, and it's just, and the psalmist is like, wow, it's amazing. You know, and we read through, you know, when we read through Genesis, it's really kind of narrative. But no, the psalms is poetry. Uh, the psalmist is just, you know, just totally excited with what he's seeing in the creation. Um, again, the moon marks the seasons, tells them when to um, sow and when to harvest. Um, and God maintains all of that. Um, and he doesn't just, the psalmist doesn't just stand um, looking at the amazement of the creation, but God's continued provision. God didn't just wind up the world and set it in motion. No, he's imminent is the word, right? He's involved. He is with the world. He is partaking of the world. He is involved in the world. One of the biggest differences about the God of Christianity versus other gods is that our God is intimate. He is involved. Um, to quote John Eldridge, every human heart on this earth is beating 
because Jesus Christ is sustaining it. Every breath that every man, woman, and child will take in this moment, and then the next moment, and the next, they're be given, being given because Jesus Christ is ruling everything. The sun came up today. The sun will come up tomorrow because Jesus Christ is actually ruling. Think of all the millions of beautiful things taking place in nature right now. The caribou are still migrating. The dolphins are still swimming in the ocean. Whales are still coming up for air, diving deep down. The whole animal kingdom is living, breathing, flourishing because Jesus Christ is the story and because he is sustaining all things by the power of his mighty word. Pretty cool, right? That all of this to have, that he created it with such great detail and purpose and that he's sustaining it. Everything that happens, happens because Jesus sustains it pretty amazing but is that how we feel today is that how we actually feel that that God is providing for us every day that he's watching over us every day and his loving kindness is reaching out to us every day I mean is that how we feel today I can tell you I feel weary I feel tired there's a lot going on. It feels like there's just been this constant string of stuff beating down. Yesterday, um, we kind of had a, really a dichotomous, dichotomous emotional day. At 9.30, we went to the funeral of a six-year-old that had died from complications of the flu. And then at 12 o'clock, we went to Delilah's birthday party, which is our 10th great-grandkid, she turned one. And it was, wow, it was just like, you know, it was just one of those things. And then it's Memorial Day, and I'll try not to get too, but it's, it's a big day for me. I, people I never think about, I think about on Memorial Day, guys I flew with that didn't make it, and, and it's, and it's, you know, a long day. And, and I think that some of us would probably like to take the last three and a half years and just make it go away, right? And go back to when everything was happier and more fun and that sort of stuff, right? I figure if I could spend like three months in the mountains or on the beach with no laptop, no TV, no cell phone, no pager, I'd be good to go, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> After Monday comes Tuesday, and you've got to go to work. So I'm not trying to be a bummer. I just think that a lot of times we, we, we struggle with today, right? We know what God does. We know he provides. We see everything, but we get lost in today. Um, People ask me, how am I doing? I said, I'm doing fine. Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> right? I mean, like, golly. <laughs> you know? 
Last Sunday, you know, was Ascension Sunday, a uh, day celebrating the, the, or the Ascension of the Lord. Today is Pentecost. Um, and as most of you know, Pentecost was the time when the Holy Spirit uh, came into the disciples. Um, and I want to set the stage a little bit, looking back at the disciples' life right about this time, right? Since early Christians lived in turbulent times. Um, much like we live today, there was a lot going on. Israel was ruled by the Romans. And uh, the Romans enforced peace with acts of violence. It was called Pax Romanus, the peace of Rome. Peace through fear. <laughs> you behaved because not behaving was a bad thing. It would not go well for you. On top of that, the Jewish authorities hated Jesus' followers and persecuted them. And if you became a Christian, that meant you were no longer a Hebrew, which meant you could lose your job, your house, your friends. You could lose everything because you would be effectively excommunicated from the synagogue. And so your whole support network would collapse. And then they saw Jesus Christ, their leader, who some thought were going to kick the Romans out and take back Israel, get arrested, beat, and crucified. They scattered. They were scared. They were weary. They were not understanding what is happening. And then, of course, next was the resurrection. Empty tomb and the appearance of Jesus to his disciples. Jesus defeated death and fulfilled the promise of the return of the Father. And in doing so, gave us the hope that one day also we will join our Father in heaven. Now, before his ascension, Jesus spent time with the disciples and promised them that the Holy Spirit was coming. But what does that mean? Right? You're the disciples. They think they already know what was going on. Right? They had plans of what Jesus was going to do, and now this. And now they hear about this Holy Spirit that's coming. You can see they're thinking, oh, if anybody was fine, it was them. So my third point is that God mentors and counsels us. We read in Acts verses 4 through 8, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Really interesting what we see in these verses, right? Jesus tells them, hey, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, great, so this is when you're going to come back and take Israel. No, <laughs> it's not what's going to happen. They're like, wait a minute. I thought that's the whole point of this, right? No, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to take this message and go tell the world about it. Ah, this message that's getting us persecuted and all, that's the message you want me to go take to the world? Yeah, that's your job. You're going to get the Holy Spirit 
he's going to empower you to take this message out to the world. You kind of almost feel sorry for the disciples at this point because they're like, what is going on? You know, I just, you know, they were, they were freaked out. There's no question about it. You know, they really had no idea of what was coming. You know. You know, into their already turbulent life, they're being told that this life-changing wind of the Holy Spirit is going to blow into them and they're going to be empowered to go out and send this message. And as believers, we have that Holy Spirit living in us. And what are we promised in the Holy Spirit? Well, we read in John 14, verses 25 through 27, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So through the Holy Spirit, we're to find the peace of Jesus Christ. Not the peace the way the world defines it, right? We're not talking, you know, sitting on the beach sipping Mai Tais. That is not the peace of Jesus Christ we're talking about here. We're talking about that peace inside that even when everything crazy is going on, you know he's got this. He's in charge. We see things happen that we're like, really? Why? Well, there's some things we don't know why. We just know are. And we pray for Jesus to give us peace. Help me find peace in you. right? Help me take these things I'm struggling with and give them to you. So the psalmist describes all that God does for his creation, that all this was created for good. And I think he's making this reflection is look at all that God has done. Look at this amazing world that he created. Look at this amazing world that he sustains, right? Look at all that's around you. And then you ask yourself, well, how can you help me? Well, if he can't, nobody can. Right? He is God. He's got that amazement of what he did. And again, like I said, he's no idle watchmaker. He didn't just turn the key, get it all running, and sat back and watch. No, he's there with the creation every day, and he's with us every day. We read in Psalm 104, verses 29 through 31. When you hide your face, they are terrified, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Now, this verse is really kind of interesting in the sense that, first of all, it goes from death to life, uh, which is the reverse of what normally happens in Scripture. Um, right? But he says he, when he takes away their breath, they die and return to dust. Right? From dust that we created to dust we return. Um, but God breathes life into his creation. And we think of that from the idea not only does he breathe life as in physical life that brings, that creates, that puts things alive. But for us, he breathes the spiritual life into us. Right? As Christians, we have a new creation. We have the creation 
Once the Holy Spirit is with us, we are a new creation. So in a sense, we're born twice, right? Once we get the, 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 the breath of life in us, those that watch children, a baby get born, right? You pull them out and they start crying. You're like, oh, they're breathing, good to go. You know, <laughs> it's really cool. I, as the, um, I remember the first um, watching um, Eric get born and, and the, uh, the, you know, the nurse doctor people were like, you know, you have to go through all these classes. I'm like, no, you don't. Women have been having babies for a long time. They'll know what to do. And, um, and so, and she did. She had no problem. She had a baby. And, uh, but it was so cool coming out because, you know, you see these movies with babies and, and they don't, that's not how they look at all. You know, the, um, but it was just so cool to watch them because you've watched this whole process and now they're breathing and it's like, wow, you know, this breath of life. Um, and then the, the, and so the, the psalmist is just, just amazed at all of this, just the, the, the work of God, right? Now, to the believer, um, this world is a very different place um, than it is to the unbeliever, right? The unbeliever may accept that at some point this world is going to end, but as believers, we know this world as we have here will end, but a much greater one will return, a new and better world, the world that was supposed to be um, far greater um, far greater than this one. Um, and it will be permanent. It, it won't go away. And the glory of the Lord will endure forever. So the, the psalmist declares in verses 33 and 34, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. So the psalmist recognizes that true joy is found by singing of the glory of the Lord and reflecting his continued stewardship. In a sense, he's saying, yeah, there's all this stuff going on, but look at this God. Look at this God that created. Look at this God that maintains. Look at this God that is with me. I've shared before, I, I love to sing. I know my voice is not the best, but I, um, I have to drive a long way to work, uh, and, and I get to sing. And I really get a lot out of singing God's praises in songs in the vehicle. Um, because really, most of the songs that you get on Christian radio are all about that, singing to the praise of God, right? Sing, so even the ones that, there, there's ones that, that, that talk about struggles and how God is there and sustaining. You know, it's, it's, it's um, uh, what's the word? It's enriching to be able to sing that way. Um, I just, it, it just really means, and, and, and here's the psalmist, and that's one of the great things going through the psalms, but here's the psalmist saying, you know, I'm going to sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. May my meditations be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. My meditations, my time spent with him, you know, I know as, um, as a father and a grandfather, some of the best times I have are when my kids cuddle or my grandkids cuddle. Um, we have Gracie's five years old and she comes every morning, I don't know, seven o'clock or so. You know, the first thing she does is hop in bed and cuddle with grandpa. Um, and it's really cool. Um, and it's, 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 it's really such a picture 
of how our relationship should be with God. You know, to go as a little kid and jump in his arms. You know, it was interesting yesterday at the service, they were talking about Haley and how much she just loved the Lord and she danced and she's just, just, just had a wonderful time. And, and that the uh, pastor was talking about how, how do we get back there, right? Those days that we feel beaten up, worn out, how do we get back there? How do we get back to that joy that we had when we were kids and we danced in the Lord? How do we get there? So that brings me to my final thought. God shares in our burdens and he brings us peace. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that begs the question, why would you take a yoke anyway? Why don't we just do without yokes, right? Well, it doesn't quite that work way, does it? We end up being yoked to something, right? And we're either yoked to the fallen world and with all of its burdens, which are not light, or we yoke to Jesus Christ. And so when we're yoked to something good, it's good for us. And we want to put it in the context of what it meant to be yoked. In the, those days, the agrarian days, being yoked was a pair of oxen that would plow. And they would take an old ox, a well-trained, experienced ox, and yoke it with a new young ox who didn't know how to do anything. And the older ox would teach the younger ox how to do his job, how to pull, how to wear the yoke. And it's interesting, when you look at the history, the yoke was actually fastened so it would fit the ox. It was specific to that ox. So it was comfortable. So by sharing the yoke with a veteran workhorse, the elder trains the younger. Jesus also declares to us that his yoke is easy. The word easy here doesn't mean simple, but it means good. If I'm yoked to Jesus, then there's peace in being yoked to him. Someone who's loving, patient, good. Paraphrase, it's get in the yoke with me. Let me disciple you. I'll bear the weight of your burden. My yoke is good, and you will find rest and companionship in our labors together. So as the older one leads the younger, the younger ox does not have to wonder what to do. He learns from his mentor and gains knowledge and skill to teach others. Not only does being yoked to the older ox teach the younger ox how to plow, but the older ox being experienced pulls more of the weight. He carries more of the load. Brothers and sisters, when you are tired and weary, pick up the yoke of Jesus. Help him carry, he will carry your weight. 
He will take off your burdens. You will learn from him peace, the peace of Jesus Christ. And you'll sing to the Lord all your life. Praise to God as long as you live and rejoice in the Lord. Father, we are just so grateful that you were there for us, that we can take whatever burdens we have and we can lay them on for you and that you will help us carry those loads because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, during our days of weariness, help us to remember and get back with you.